One container of honey puts into the market about $40,000 US. Before beekeeping, people made less than a dollar a day and had no access to cash. That's a huge impact. Welcome to the Ripples of Radical Generosity podcast by Coralis, a global community of women and non-binary people making real progress on the world's to-do list. Together, we're transforming the world to become more equitable and sustainable. Hello, I'm Carly Cunningham, and I'm thrilled to be guest hosting this episode of the Coralist Podcast. I'm a Coralist activator and the founder of Big Bold Brand, where we help motivated entrepreneurs and business owners accelerate their growth, success, and impact. We work at the intersection of business and business development, brand strategy, communications, and marketing, and we co-create with agents of change, visionaries, innovators, and paradigm shifters, just like you all here in the Coralist community. But enough about me. This episode is all about introducing you to Liz Connell of African Bronze Honey. Welcome, Liz. Thanks. Nice to be here. It's African Bronze Honey, 10,000 beekeepers, because as you mentioned about the rebranding, we're, we're in the process ourselves as well. I love that, 10,000 beekeepers. So I'm going to go off script right from the beginning. How do you find 10,000 beekeepers and what prompted you to find 10,000 beekeepers? Well, uh, it wasn't actually me, the pro- project that we work with in, in Zambia. And how did they find 10,000 beekeepers? Well, it started with a couple dozen. Uh, basically, you go to a forest in the northwest of Zambia, in the middle of nowhere, where people have been beekeeping for generations, like a thousand years. And you offer them an alternative to having to cut trees down, you offer them money for honey. And over a period of a number of years, there's 10,000, plus there's another 5,000 in Tanzania. So it's really an amazing story. And I'm just honored to be part of it. With the work that I do, I'm always fascinated um, and excited by differentiators because I think the biggest differentiator is you just said forest honey. I think most of us assume that honey is now produced for the majority on farms. I'm going to let you run with that. Okay, well, uh, yeah, um, most of the honey that you buy in the grocery store is produced from agricultural crops. And unless you're buying from a local, you know, a local beekeeper, what you're going to find in in the grocery store is probably honey that was produced by bees that were trucked a couple thousand uh, kilometers across the continent to pollinate almond crops or this crop or that crop. You know, maybe they come from from Saskatchewan and they go down to California. Okay, so you're telling me there's a whole industry of bee transport and travel? There is. And to me, it makes my stomach turn. On the other hand, these forest bees, they live in this beautiful dryland forest and they have about a thousand different flowering plants and trees. And by the way, the reason why bees need to be trucked to places like these almond uh, plantations is because they're monocrops, they're monocultures. So the bees don't live there. They don't, there's no wild bees there because the crop only uh, blossoms at a certain time of year. 
Wow. The rest of the time, there's nothing for them to eat. So in this forest environment, there's about a thousand different flowering plants and trees. And in, you know, there's a lot of flowering trees, but there's something for the bees all the time, even in the dry season. So they have lots to eat and they're healthy. They're not stressed because they're not being subject to call it inhumane treatment. Mm-hmm. And uh, they produce amazingly healthy honey. Amazing. There's about 12 threads I can run from this, but I'm going to try and pull myself back onto the script. And my first question should have been, tell me about your venture and the problem it solves and for who. And I'm going to state that you've already told us the problem that you solve for bees as you keep them in their natural environment. Yeah. The project that we work with in Zambia started as a way to save forests. Secondary to that was to provide income. The way to save the forest was to provide income to uh, people who had no other source of income other than making use of the forest in some way or another, which might be cut, cutting down trees to create, you make charcoal, charcoal and sell that. That's the main thing. Save forests that happen to capture, well, hundreds of thousands of tons of carbon every year. Mm-hmm. 100%. What about for the consumer? So I'm going to I'm going to run on the on the tagline on your website that says honey that's good for you and honey that's good for the planet. So let's talk about the problems that you solve or the benefits you offer for the consumer. So, um because because the honey comes from a healthy environment um and because it's forest honey, the product that these bees create is is more than just a sweetener. It's sweet, although when people taste it, they say, oh, it's not as sweet as what you might find in the grocery store. But that's because it has a lot of flavor. And it's also partly honeydew. Most forest honey is partly honeydew. Honeydew is created by other insects. It's a kind of a cute or funny little story. Other insects suck nectar from flowers. Mm-hmm and tree bark and leaves, and they store it. But the bees know that. And they go along and they steal it. So, (laughs) so, you know, because half the work is done for them. But anyways, the honey that we have in in our little jars is partly honeydew. And it's extremely high in antioxidants. So what's good for it for people? It's high in antioxidants. And we have scientific research to prove that. And we're just undertaking a second round of that research that is looking into two polyphenols that we found in our honey that don't show up in in all the other honeys that that we tested. And we're about 13 at the time. So it's good for you. There's so much research to be done, um, but there's a lot of evidence that shows that the antioxidants, the level of antioxidants, you know, is good for you. Amazing. Tell me about your collision with the company. Where, at what point did you step in? What was the impetus behind it? I suspect it wasn't somewhere you expected to be, or maybe you've <laughs> been a bee lover and bee expert your whole life. And I just didn't do my research. No, no. We lived in Zimbabwe for many years, almost a decade uh, back in the nineties. And um, we met a fellow there who had, he was a Zambian Canadian. Um, his parents were missionaries. 
But after going through missionary school, he decided he didn't want to be a missionary. He wanted to do mm -hmm. good, uh, but he didn't want to be a missionary. So he went into aid work and worked uh, several aid projects, but decided that that didn't work either. It didn't help people to the point that they could be self-sufficient because when the money dried up, everything went back to the way it was. It was artificial. So we were in Zimbabwe doing um, business. I had a computer training school. My partner had a chemical recycling technology. Um, I like to think that he saw us doing business and, and thought maybe that was a way to um, make change. So that's what he did. He went up to the forest and started businesses. He tried to get my partner to go up there and um, and work with him, but no roads, no cell phones. People had no money. It was really actually very difficult to uh, comprehend how he could do business in that environment. After a few not so successful ventures, some beekeepers approached him and said, what we really need is for somebody to find a market for our honey. Then that's what he started doing. He started, he started training uh, people um, to use you know, sustainable methods. Back in those days, and this is almost, almost 30 years ago, African honey had a really bad reputation because it was smoky. Mm. People, um, you know, I guess had the impression that the bees were not being treated well. So anyways, he went, he, he provides training on an ongoing basis, provides uh, numeracy and literacy training and they buy honey twice a year. The keepers are paid up front. And we met up with him about 10 years into his venture over coffee in Ottawa. And he said, you know, I've got like a list of 3,000 people who, who uh, want to be trained. So I need more market. Wow. Uh, so help me market in North America. And, and we thought, what could be easier? <laughs> <laughs> and so was it easy but anyways that was the start that was the start that was uh 10 years ago now and uh no it wasn't easy because as I mentioned it's honey but mm -hmm. it's something totally different than what people know honey to be mm -hmm. but it's what honey used to be before agriculture kind of wrecked it <laughs> So it sounds like there's a lot of education to what you do. I mean, I feel like I've gotten the honey 101 in the last 10 minutes, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. And but we didn't realize that really when we started. We we started as a fundraising project. We thought fair trade, cut out the middleman sort of thing. So we thought we would go offer the product as a fundraising uh, product to schools and you know, fits with the curriculum, uh, about the environment, all kinds of things. But it's actually really, really hard to uh, work with schools. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then we realized that actually the best way to make um, the largest impact would be to uh, sell honey bulk, but also continue this research and education um, showing how the honey is different. And, and I say better, but it's personal taste, but it's it's really so we sell bulk honey to uh, food and beverage manufacturers, supplement manufacturers. We're also starting to work on on a few other streams. 
Amazing. So it sounds like yeah. market penetration has been a bit of a trial and error for you as to who who has the need and who incorporates honey as a major ingredient versus going to the shelves of whole foods or specialty suppliers. Yeah, we were in whole foods. We were in, in all the whole foods in Canada. But again, we wanted to find where we could make the largest impact. So we still sell jars of honey. Mm-hmm. We sell them to independent retailers. We sell you know direct to them. Uh, we don't go through a distributor. And you can buy our honey on our website. If you're just a regular person and there isn't a store near you. So we, we're continuing with that. And, and uh, we've been doing quite a bit of product development as well. But the large focus is on, on food and beverage. We're in a beer. We're coming on seven years with a beer. One of the uh, largest craft brewers in the U.S. is our favorite customer. They're a B Corp as well. We also work with a, a B Corp that is a supplement company, and they've developed a line of products around our heavy cough syrup and uh, some elderberry tonics and things like that. So, so it's healthy honey and healthy product. All of a sudden, I'm hungry. <laughs> and the, and the distillery um, and it makes sense to me. I was just on the island, and there's a gin. Uh, company on the island who uses honey and it's fantastic and you can even just smell it in in the gin in the tasting room it's it's really unique so I love that you're finding new streams and new places that it can be used you mentioned the word impact um, which segues really well Um, tell us about your impact to date uh, or some of the stories of people you've worked with and helped other than 10,000 beekeepers (laughs) such a teeny tiny little ginormous number <laughs> well we're working on that impact the market in north america is is huge and this is a, a little bit of a diversion but like for example the u.s um imports more than 60 percent of its honey so there's the potential for a huge amount of impact the the forests and the beekeepers produce like 1200 tons of honey a year but so with that impact, that literally does change 10,000 beekeepers' lives. The more honey that we sell, the more impact it's made. An example would be one container of honey puts into the market about $40,000 U.S. Considering that without this project, before uh, beekeeping, People made less than a dollar a day and had no access to cash. That's a huge impact. So the more honey that we can sell, you know, it's changing, the, helping to change the economy of a whole region of the country while protecting forests. So just to clarify yeah. that, because I'm a visual thinker, when you said one container of honey, I was in my brain, my brain was going jar, bucket, shipping container. Container load, okay. 20 tons. Amazing. So 20 tons of honey shipped from the African forests to North America puts $40,000 in the hands of the beekeepers? Yeah. Amazing. That's huge impact. <laughs> it is. It Absolutely. Is. Yeah. Um, let's talk about um, coming back to the bees again. When we talk about sustainability and how agriculture, when 
we're looking at it in the, you know, as you use the example, the almond farms, how does that cause damage to bee populations? So obviously transport, you said it stresses out the bees. So obviously there's an attrition there um, and losing a part of the hive. Um, talk to us about other issues that that affects for the bees. So I, I'm not a scientist. I'm, I'm not a beekeeper. But I do know that um, the bees in these African forests are much hardier and healthier. You know, everybody knows about um, colony collapse disorder. There's, you know, different theories on why that is. Uh, one of them, uh, one of those theories involves the neonicotinoids, those those um, chemicals that people put on on um, crops. Oh. But what they actually do is um, that bees are actually attracted to them, but wow. then they can't find their way home. So they, all of these stresses also make the bees um, more susceptible to things like varroa mites. It's kind of a vicious circle because uh, one of the effects of, of these varroa mites is when, the, when baby bees are born, when the larvae are hatched, they're not as strong. So, you know, there's self-propagating. The bees in, in these forests in Africa um, are able to, to um, defend themselves against the varroa mites. They're just healthier. Their environment is healthy. They don't, there's no chemicals. There's no agriculture. Um, and we're talking about 20,000 square kilometers or more um, in one forest. So it's just a healthier environment. So the bees are healthier. What I'm essentially hearing you say is that the forest honey and the way it is treated and harvested um, is what Mother Nature has effectively been asking us to do since the start of the pandemic, which is go back to natural ways. Yep. I would say that's a winning combination. <laughs> um Let's jump into the Coralist community. You were an activator first, and you were a part of the EDC cohort. What was that experience like? Okay, so EDC is Export Development Canada. Perfect. Um, and um, we were uh, a client of EDC because we had just gotten a large export contract to a beverage manufacturer in the U.S. And just after Christmas in 2022, I guess it was, I got invited to be part of, uh, to be gifted activator status um, as part of a cohort of, um, I think there was 20 of us. And to me, that felt like actually winning the lottery. I was so thrilled. It was a wonderful um, New Year's gift um, because it gave me uh, access to this amazing community, you know, supporting each other and doing uh, amazing things. As part of that cohort, we had, um, you know, uh, sort of meetings on our own to, to develop things, you know, learning sessions about export and things like that. But, but it was also a great introduction to, to all the people uh, within Coralis. Wonderful. Let's talk about connections or impact that perhaps some special people in the Coralist community had for you? Did they open up new avenues? Did they help you complete things that would may not have gotten done? Yeah, I'm curious. I don't know if I can say one specific thing. I mean, we've, we're working with Tutsuki Sima from uh, Coralist. She has 
get boxes and she works with chefs and cruise ships and and so that's going to be a, a, a really uh, amazing new avenue for us um, to get our, our little um, gift boxes of honey right there. So that's going to be pretty cool. Um, but also there's, I mean, you go out there and you uh, need something, you ask, and people have suggestions or ideas. I would also say like as a venture, you know, going through that, that venture um, application process, um, you know, and making it to the to the semifinals or whatever. Just getting to meet all of the other ventures and and learning, um, uh, you know, about what they're doing, but learning from them um, how they how handled different challenges. It's just so valuable to learn from all these people. I agree with you. The knowledge network here is just so profound. And yeah. whether you're a venture or whether you're an activator, it is it is here for everyone. And I think the biggest thing to remember is just ask. Yeah. And we're not typically taught to ask. It's so hard to ask. <laughs> Why do you think it's hard to ask? I know a lot of people find that a difficult thing. Uh, and I'm sure there's different reasons, but you feel that if you have to ask for something that that it makes you less, you know, you should be able to do it yourself. But there's just so many things. But on the other hand, though, uh, asking for um, help or assistance or ideas uh, from from this community is actually um, uh, it's actually more of a collaborative type of thing where you're inviting people to to be part of what you're doing. And mm -hmm. I, I can see why people respond so well uh, when you do ask things because um, everybody's so so engaged in, in uh, what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. I think there's such a belief or dogma around when you're when you step into the role as a company leader that you should have all the tools and you should have all the knowing and if you specialize in a particular topic you should you should have all the knowledge and experience and I think that is so false how many of us step in or our clients even ask us or your suppliers ask you can this be done and you're like um or there's that gut yes but who knows what the steps and stages are and we just need to step through them. So I, I love what you're saying that there's, there's others in our community that are, have been there before you. Um, mm -hmm. They've, they've, they've walked the path or a similar path and can offer you their experience. Um, one of the other things that, that I was reminded of when you were saying it that, and this applies differently than my wife usually says it to me, which is you're an audience of one, which is remember you're an audience of one and your opinion may not be what's right for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as, as a leader and an owner and as someone who is, is literally invent, often inventing and innovating on the fly to like you're doing is finding new avenues for the honey to be used so that it can sustain so many more than 10,000 beekeepers. Being an audience of one as a business owner is really, really hard. It's a lot of pressure. And for me, I know that the Coralist community can take that pressure off pretty darn quickly. That's true. Yeah, I, I do want to add that I do have a co-founder. I'm not an audience of one. I'm very lucky uh, that I that I have a, a co-founder that you know we worked together for ten years on this, um, and uh, we have different skill sets. So 
it's good that way. Amazing. So I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to pick on the asking just to summarize what I'm hearing. And hopefully the reason, the reason I'm doing that is to hopefully encourage more folks to be asking okay. for what they need and for help. So what I'm hearing is um, by asking once you were invited in as a venture, you found a community who is helping you build that export path. And then as asking to be a venture, you navigated that application process and found support and success and connection even further through the ventures. And now you've got partners like Cooks Who Feed, what you're working on new projects with. And there's many other benefits and answers that have come out of this community, which have really moved African bronze honey 10,000 beekeepers forward. Yes. And uh, we're keeping moving forward. <laughs> Amazing. On all of those things, yeah. So what's next for you and the company? Well, our goals for this year are to land two or three large bulk customers. We've been attending uh, trade shows and um, meeting with uh, you know potential buyers. We're looking in the area like of a snack bar um, or granola bar kind of thing. We're also looking at, like you mentioned, it's a distillery um, and a couple couple other sort of uh, sectors within uh, food and, and oh, also a cosmetics, shampoo, something like that, because honey can be used in all these things. We're renovating our uh, production facility and upgrading our, our bottling line so that our wholesale products will be we'll be able to produce them faster to meet that demand. That's exciting. Lots of good things going on. Um, so I heard there were some asks in that for connections um, to, okay, let's go back over them in case folks missed them. So to a bar company, um, which could be granola or otherwise. Energy bars, sort of snack bar. Yeah. Energy bars. Um, I'm also thinking possibly sports nutrition. Would, yes. would that be an avenue for you? That's one that we have explored. And and when our um, research is um, completed, we have better um, support on that. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and cosmetic companies? Cosmetic company. We have beeswax as well as honey. Okay. Um, but honey as an antibacterial product, it's it's great for your skin. It it actually um, helps moisturize your skin mm -hmm. and uh, is used by a large cosmetics company that we won't name here, but um, they they do use a um, honey in their shampoo. I can be a testament to that. I switched over to a honey-based skincare product line about a year or two years ago. Like you said, the pandemic broke the clocks in our heads, but I've been using it regularly. And my biggest fear is running out. It's fantastic. <laughs> and it's a local um, Canadian uh, company called Honey and Cocoa. So if I haven't connected you to them, please remind me to do okay. that. Okay. And so what I'm hearing is specific connections, but if anyone listening to this knows of someone who could use someone being a company who could use honey in bulk amounts to create products or make them better, please provide an introduction. And do you have any other asks for the listeners in our community? Follow us on Instagram, check out our website, buy a little honey. And uh, if you mention that you heard it on this podcast, we'll, we'll send a, a little treat, an extra little treat along with your order. 
That's exciting and incredibly generous. So thank you on behalf of our audience. And for those of you who uh, might be on your phones listening to this while at the park, maybe watching the kids or just enjoying some downtime, the website is africanbronzehoney.com. Thank you so much for your time today. I know I have learned a ton about honey and the planet and how I can do better in making my consumer choices. And I'm very, very excited for where you and your partner and the company are heading. Well, thank you. Thank you, Carly. This was uh, really great. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Ripples of Radical Generosity podcast. Let us know what you thought of the episode and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at www.coralis.world.